0: The following sermon is from LifeWay Church of Billings. Teaching a sermon out of Romans chapter 13, entitled, You Have One Job, is worship leader, Kirk Williams. Good morning. If you would go ahead and turn to Romans 13. Romans thirteen eight through 10. So one thing, one thing that Christianity shares in common with really every world religion and some ways every organization is there can be a a lot of rules. Have you ever noticed that? I mean sure Jesus paid for our sins on the cross but you still can't walk up to that annoying neighbor and slap them in the face. There, There seem to be umpteen commands that that we have to keep. And we see that in a lot of other organizations. You you want to join the local golf club, then you have to maintain certain behaviors and standards. You want to join a hockey team, well, you got to wear your skates and only hit people sometimes. <laughs> we believers like them, we seem to have a lot of rules that we see in scripture. And if you're like me, sometimes it gets confusing and a little bit hard and a little bit discouraging. I mean, take So Romans 12, 9 through 17 is one example. This is eight verses, and in these eight verses, there are 22 commands that we are given. Things like, let love be genuine, don't be haughty. All of us pretty much knocked out with those two, and that's only in eight verses, and there's actually 31,102 verses in the entire Bible. So, if you're like me, I, I look at this, and I feel like I'm constantly pulled in all these directions. I constantly have all of these, these these things I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, okay, I've got to keep a hold of my anger and make sure I'm not yelling at the kids, and, and my brain's like on there, and then I realize, oh, man, I'm not, I'm not really uh, paying attention to just my eating. I'm becoming self-indulgent. I'm becoming gluttonous, and, and I do that, and then I realize, man, I just got to pick up my socks from the floor and love my wife so that she doesn't feel like she has to pick them up. And sometimes I feel like I, I can't keep them all, and in fact, it's just exhausting trying to... And I feel like I range in varying levels of effort, got to try this, to hopelessness. What's the point? There's just too much to follow. There's too much to do. But What if I told you that the responsibility of the believer in this new covenant age, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it's not a complicated responsibility. It's not an easy one, but it's not a complicated responsibility. And this is where we're going to look at our passage. So, looking at Romans 13, 8-10, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So this morning, I want to use this passage as well as a a brief survey of Scripture to point us to this amazing grace of knowing that we as believers, those who have been saved and changed and regenerated by the gospel, we are not called primarily to a list of do's and don'ts. We are called primarily to love as Christ loved. That's our one job, that's what we need to get. It's not complicated, but it's not easy, and we're going we're gonna to flesh that out more. So let's begin by praying, um, and then we'll continue. Father, I ask, as we look into your word, would you help me to present this in a way that is getting to the truth of, of, of what you wrote? Because if, if we're not seeing the truth of what you wrote, then, then we're wasting our time here. And so would you help us with your spirit? Would you help me to speak truthfully and to get your point across? And then please, with your spirit, would you move in hearts because words cannot change, but your spirit can with your word. So please change our hearts this morning as we consider this. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so from this passage, we hear this this amazing truth that really Paul's telling us all of the laws and rules bound up in, in that old covenant law of God given to Israel All of them find their fulfillment in loving God and each other. And then he goes on to apply this to the believer as well. That is, we are not ultimately called to a list of rules that we need to keep. We are actually called to really a higher calling, loving as Christ loved. So considering that, let's look at three graces this morning. So the first two are going to be almost more summary type things about this concept and then the third is really going to be us digging into this passage okay so as we consider this idea here's the first grace about this the grace of it is finished okay so anytime we talk about any sort of the believer keeping rules in any way we have got to start at the fact that jesus already kept those rules for us that is the first place that I think we need to start. Whenever there's any conversation about what is the believer's responsibility, we've got to start with the fact that Christ obeyed all the rules perfectly for us already on the cross. In Hebrews 3, in Hebrews 3 and 4, that's described as entering his rest. Basically, this idea of literally resting from a reliance on our works to please God and resting instead on his sacrifice being sufficient to save us in every way. So it's, it's really a crucial thing. We as a believer, uh, when someday we face the ultimate judge and he, and he looks at us and he opens the long file drawer of all of those things and he says, hey, has, has your good outweighed your bad? All there is is one small sheet of paper in there for those who have trusted Christ and it says, paid in full. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's, God's grace. And so briefly speaking to those here, if, if you are here and you are, you are seeking You're not not quite sure yet whether or not you, you buy into this. You're not quite sure if you believe this. Let me just reiterate that what we believe here is not that by following the rules of Scripture, we don't think that we're gaining God's favor or his pleasure in any way. In fact, quite the opposite, there's nothing that we can do to gain that because the weight of our sin actually just constantly outweighs that. Every single second we are continually acting in in ways that are selfish and unloving and drawing glory to ourselves instead of God. We We can't outwork our good. And that's why we believe so strongly, that's why we talk and sing about Jesus constantly because Jesus, in his perfect life, in the Gospels, he fulfilled every single law that there was. Every single law that God has given to us, Jesus perfectly fulfilled them. That's why the Gospels isn't just primarily the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's a lot in there about the life that Jesus lived. It's not just about being an example, it's showing us that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And then, we're told by Paul, then when when he died, then he gives that perfect life to us. So it's this really crucial thing, and it's this grace that anytime we talk about any sort of responsibility of rules, we have to start there. That ultimately, we're not even having this conversation about what do we need to do as a believer to gain God's favor. Jesus gained God's favor for us and in trusting in him, we also have God's favor. Really crucial part and that's why it's called a grace. So the second grace to look at is the grace of a good father. All right, so as we talk about what are our responsibilities, let me draw your attention to the fact that in this passage and elsewhere we see that God is not giving us these rules and these, 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 these things he's telling us, hey, you need to do this, these commands, these responsibilities. God is not doing that as this, this boss or this judge throwing this down on this in the kind of this cold-hearted way. He's doing that as a good and loving father. Who cares about that? So the very fact that he calls us to a life of love tells us about him. first um, John, John describes God as love. It's not that God acts loving at times. It is that God, we're told, is love. And we need to not too quickly move past that as we, as we consider what our responsibilities are because we're told, okay, we have this responsibility to love others. Well, let's first remind ourselves of the fact that we're called to love because God, by his very character and nature, is love. And so that means, as we consider our responsibilities as well as our trials and tribulations on this earth, that there's nothing that God does or commands us to do that is not loving so the child who is suddenly grabbed from behind in, in a firm grasp to prevent him from leaping into the street in front of, a, in front of this quickly moving bus. Um, I, I, so I travel a bit for work. And one of the things that I love doing when I go to cities, I've never told my wife this, Uh, Is one of the things that shows that you're really a cool, like you're a native of that city, is that you can walk right up with this crowd of people, right up to the the corner as all the traffic is rushing by. You can stand like a couple inches from the curb, you know, and the giant buses are like right in front of you flying by, and you're like, yeah, I'm not swayed by this. I'm cool, just like all of them. (laughs) Well, what if there was a kid there as these buses are flying by inches from your nose? The, and the, the kid starts to leap, and, and the father says, no, and grabs him from behind. Saves him from certain death and getting splattered across the road by this giant bus. If it was New York, the bus would just keep driving. Well, the child look, turns back and looks at his dad and says, uh, why'd you do that? You, I, did, I did not appreciate that moment. That moment, you actually, in fact, you actually caused me a small amount of pain, like my shoulder kind of hurts from where you grabbed me, and you startled me with your loud voice. He's upset because this momentary pain that he's experiencing. And he's not seeing that there is a good and loving father behind that protecting him from certain death. We can never, ever forget in any discussion on our responsibility and what we've been commanded to, that it comes to us from a God who at the core of his being is love. Everything he does is for the good of those who love him. And he guarantees that actually with Paul's claim in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So it is a loving father that gives us these commands okay so there's the grace of a good father as well and then finally don't get excited by that word though because it doesn't mean we're close to being done but just the last grace the third grace here is the grace of simplicity okay so simplicity is one of those interesting things that you don't value until you try to do it right um simplicity is essential because what it does is it draws our focus to what really matters, but it's really, really hard to do. So if you've ever, uh, there's a big fad right now, the Marie Kondo thing going around, Uh, she's on Netflix, she basically tells you, hey, get rid of the majority of your belongings unless it finds you joy, that kind of thing. Uh, Simplicity in that. Um, Of course, all of us up north in the summer, we're saying, hey, this winter coat doesn't give me joy, (laughs) but don't get rid of that. So this idea of simplicity being, hey, what it does is it, is it pulls out distractions so you see what is actually essential and what requires your focus. So w- what I do uh, is for work is I work with Google a lot. And one of the reasons that Google became this kind of powerhouse of search back in the day was they basically looked at their home, their home page, home home ads, we're going to get rid of all this other stuff, and we're going to have a large white page with just this tiny little search box and it was not easy for them to make that decision and it was concerning it was a risk but that's part of why it really focused in because people loved the fact that they could go to do exactly what they were there to do they wanted to search so simplicity is powerful and there is a grace in it and and i think that it's here in this passage as well it's in the passage that that um that Chris read earlier, where the scribe comes up to Jesus and says, hey, which commandment is the least important of of them all? And most likely the scribe was kind of wanting to to mix it up with theology, right? That's what they like to do, argue the finer points. And Jesus shuts him down with the same thing of simplicity. You want to know what the most important is? Here it is, love God and love others. So, there's a lot of other stuff we, we hear about in the Old Testament law, but really at its core, even the Old Testament law Jesus is saying could be summarized in love for God and others. Why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath when he was technically breaking the law? And that's why the Pharisees were so upset, because he was getting to the, the heart of what it was. He was getting to love. Okay, so that's Old Testament law. What about for the New Covenant believer? Well, that's where in our passage, Paul brings that in and ties that into this. In the same way that, in that, that love fulfills the law, now, more so, you owe no one anything except to love one another. So, taking a few things from this passage here, um, just a couple of observations. First, in verse 8, this idea of Uh, Owing no, owing no one anything except to love one another. I I think of that like when you owe someone something, you're you're indebted to them, right? And in fact, that actually that actually changes my behavior at least. Like if someone would just hand me a bunch of money, like let's say two hundred thousand dollars, they said, "Hey, you have this need. Here's two hundred thousand dollars." Like that would probably change the way that I acted towards them, right? I laugh a little bit louder at their jokes, even if they're not funny. Uh, what, what, can I get you anything? Can I get your slippers, right? Let me, go, let me go park your car for you. You just gave me all this money. There's this sense of indebtedness, and I think that's part of what Paul's saying. Hey, uh, in that same way, feel that obligation to others out of love. Owe them love. And then a second observation here, is we're given the basis by Paul for why love is so essential. And here's where we get into the weeds a little bit, and I'm going to do my best not to, but to get us through. But love is so essential in his argument because it's the fulfillment of the law. It's the fulfillment of the Torah here. So according to Jesus in that previous passage we read, the primary point of that law was that it was a call to love God and love others. And one thing I'd point out to you is by the way, on the other side of this, this actually means that the, the Old Testament Israelites could get this wrong on the flip side of that. And, and, and they did. So Jesus tells this to the scribes and Pharisees, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you tithe mint and dill and cumin,' And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So actually, they were obeying the rules of the law. And in fact, just to be safe, they were obeying even like the obedience of these obedience of this law, then that law, and making sure just to to check every single box, cross every T, dot every I, just to make sure, because they wanted to obey the law, because that's what was important. And Jesus is saying, you missed the point. Yeah, sure. You're following the rule. You've missed the big point. You've missed the fact that it's about love. It's about righteousness. It's about not neglecting others. Uh, We see the same thing in in Amos, where God is talking to them and He says, "Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them." Okay, that's that's really big because, by the way, God is the one who told them to make those offerings. God God said, "Make these burnt offerings. Make these grain offerings." But now he's saying, I won't accept them. So you're following my rules. Why is God not accepting these? Because, verse 22, For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Again, going to that, going to that further, we see glimpses even of the, in the Old Testament of the fact that God's commandments and his law code, they have always been about a deeper reality of this, this, this continuing thing throughout them of love. Okay, so what about new covenant believers, though? So in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish, but fulfill. So there's a very real aspect where we are no longer as new covenant believers under that, under that Torah but in the same way, this is the re- very reality of what Paul is getting here. We are not free from the law now so that we can be antinomian. It's not that we are freed up from the law so that we can live ho- however we want. He actually says, I hate to tell you this, it's, it's actually more aggressive than that because now your command is to love as Christ loved. So you're worried about like, following these ten rules and that's not the point actually the point now is love as christ has loved galatians 6 2 says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ jesus says in john 13 shortly before he goes on to his death and burial and resurrection a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another well it's not technically a new command right because We're told that the point of the Torah was all about love, but in that sense, Jesus is saying, here's here's the deal, the the end of chapter one has been written, I have come, I have now fulfilled the law because I lived it perfectly, and so now align yourself to me in faith, and now this new commandment I give to you, now your job is to love as I have loved. Which, if you think about it, (laughs) I, I'd kind of prefer the easy 10, uh, 10 rules, right? In some ways, this, this is impossible. Let me, uh, let me read from you. Um, this is a little bit of a lengthy quote, but it's so good, and I didn't know how to break it up, so I'm just going to read it, and I think it's going to be here on the, on the screen. This is a fantastic book by a guy named Charles Leiter. It's called The Law of Christ, and he says this. He describes this concept like this. The Christian standard is thus not just any sort of love, But Christ-like love, love of the same quality and magnitude as Christ himself demonstrated in his incarnation and death on the cross. By rising to pray and commune with his Father, by walking through jostling crowds in perfect peace and tranquility of heart, by opening his mouth in wisdom and compassion, by washing his disciples' feet, by forgiving his enemies, by everything he ever said and did, the Lord Jesus gave us the pattern for our conduct." As we indicated earlier, it is the highest, clearest, and brightest revelation of man's duty that could ever be given to the human race. There can be nothing more exacting or more demanding or more wonderful than this to love God and to love others in just the same way and to the same degree that Christ did. No one has ever fathomed the full import of these words nor has anyone ever begun to fully live up to them. So, Our objective as believers is not just to see what is that line and like how close can I get to it to crossing it to still be okay with God, but like to not actually have to do much work. We are called as believers to love as the perfect son of God loved. Love is actually a higher standard than law. And that is what I want to call us to today. So I said the grace of simplicity because it, in one sense it simplifies and this is what I meant by that where instead of having all of these feelings of this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do and we do see commands all over the New Testament of course but those new commands are, are helping us define and helping us learn about this is how Christ loved, this is how we are to love but really the core of what we're supposed to do is die to ourselves and, and, and give ourselves to, to God and to others. That is really the focus of what we need to do. That is simple in, in terms of our knowledge base, and it's, it's, it's impossible without the Spirit, we're told, because those without the Spirit, they don't, they don't love, actually, they're described, um, I forget, I think it's in Titus or maybe Timothy, they're described as hating others and being hated, that's those without God. They, just, they live in a way that hates others and, hates and, be, and, and is hated. And you might think, well, my unbelieving neighbor is pretty nice. Well, right, but give some trials to them and uh, have them be treated in a way that they think is unfairly and, and watch the reaction. Without Christ, we are nothing. And so this higher standard of law, which is love, that's what we are called to. And this is where... My objective this morning was simply to help us see this. Unfortunately, I'm not going to go into all the specifics of the long work of sanctification of doing this, but that's definitely where we need the Spirit's help. So here is where I want to close today. Um, I want to close by talking through, okay, so if we are called in kind of the simplified focus, this is our objective, which is to love as Christ loved. Like, What does this look like? What does this look like? Because at some point it does need to get practical, right? It can't just be this nebulous. If, if, if we don't start to get practical or if we don't allow the word to define what love looks like, then it kind of depends on whatever anyone who wants to describe love calls it. Because anyone can say this is loving, but is it actually loving? So in that way, yeah, truth absolutely does matter. We need to make sure we are loving as Christ loved, which is defined by scripture, not strictly just whatever we wanna call loving even if that is our highest calling. So here are a few examples that I thought of, um, of, of, of I think that'll make it even, even more clear of this idea of getting ourselves to think, hey, how am I thinking here in terms of, let's just call it law, um, for the sake of not being confusing, I'm not referring to the Old Testament law, I'm just rules, like law, me trying to accomplish something in my own behavior, or actually what would be loving Putting God first in my thoughts and my actions, and putting others first. So here, here are a few different things just to get us thinking. I'm sure there are others that that you can think of as well. Okay, the first being like visitors or hospitality. Okay, so visitors, hospitality. We we know that we are to uh, love those around us that that we know that we interact with a lot, and we're also supposed to love those who enter our lives um, that we don't know well. Well. Uh, a law might be saying, hey, when, when you're in a certain place, like, hey, if you're in church, just have a mindset and an eye to make sure that those who walk in the door who are new are being, are being uh, you know, their needs are being met, and that's our focus. Or you could even say the opposite, like, hey, we really care about uh, fostering deep community here, and um, that, that's our objective. And it's, it's kind of this purposeful about about me sort of thing. I'm I'm thinking specifically about what is the line that I'm trying to do. Love says, I need to have my eyes open to those around me, kind of regardless of who they are. And so when we are not thinking of what is my job here, but how can I love others? How can I meet the needs of others? Then what that means is wherever you're sitting, because we're all sitting in like various places spread out, right? So wherever I'm sitting, do I have my eyes open to those around me and who's in need? And one Sunday, that might look like, hey, there's a person over there that we don't, we don't know who's kind of sitting alone and they, they, they look like they're feeling a little awkward. This is a great chance for me to go and introduce myself to love them. Not because you're crossing something off the list, like we need to be a loving church. We need to be hospitable. No, like you like have a heart for them. They're alone over there. Or it might be one of those times where you say, man, this person over here, yeah, I I talk to my friend all the time, but she is really struggling this morning. I'm going to go check in on her, see what's going on. Your heart is for others. Okay, so that was maybe not a super helpful example. Here's another one. Wednesday night attendance or life group attendance. Okay? So the law here can go either way. So you can have a law on one side that says, look, there's nothing in the Bible that says I need to show up to life group or I need to show up on Wednesday nights. You're absolutely right, there's not. But in some ways, your focus is is really on yourself if if that's the objective like if that's where you stop, right? Hey, I don't need to do this, so I'm out. Or you could go the other way. Law would be, well, the really spiritual, (laughs) they show up all the time the doors are open. That's law too. Because Actually, party A is correct. That's not actually a rule in scripture that you need to follow. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about a Wednesday night midweek service. But love, love realizes, hey, uh, when, I'm, when I'm with the body, like I'm a vital part, I'm, I'm described by Paul as a vital part of the body. Like every single person in our community is a crucial part of a body, like, if, if you don't have a knee, you can't really run. It's kind of important if the knee doesn't show up that day for your run. And there is a level of us being less concerned about should I show up or should I not, and more concerned about where am I needed? How can I most love those around me? And there might be times where that actually does look like that night. Yeah, it is actually most loving for me not to show up at life groups this time with like three kids with, you know, the bubonic plague. Okay, great. That's love, right? So again, and this, sometimes when you get into specific examples, it starts to get dangerous, but this is where I'm trying to get at with the heart of, is our heart, loss, like law is very self-focused, and love is others-focused, so I'm not trying to create new laws here. I'm trying to say, Hey, how do we think about things in our body? And how do we think of it in ways that is about me and what I can get away with or do? And how do we think about it in ways that is, is about others? Okay, so uh, witnessing is a good one. There's a lot of, of law that has been thrown around a lot with, with evangelizing, soul winning. Uh, when, when, when I was growing up, it was all about handing out tracts, right? And I remember thinking... Um, Somewhat now, unapologetically, although I felt bad about thinking this in the past, I was like, man, if the point of this is just getting a sheet of paper in someone's hand, like, can we put these things in a plane, fly over a city, push like 50,000 of them out the window? I guarantee you that more people will get one of these tracks in their hand than if I like hand this out to them, right? Somewhat of a joke, but also somewhat of the point. Like, is the whole point of me doing this, checking off a box, I need to tell others about Jesus? Well, that's law. It's about self-focused again. But others' focus sees, man, those around me, like, they are hopeless. They have have no hope. Like, their hope is this fragile ecosystem that they call life, and whenever it starts to break and crumble, they're out. We have more wealth in the U.S., I, I believe, if I'm understanding, I don't want to say an untruth, but my understanding is we have more wealth in the U.S. than we've ever seen before. And look at the anxiety and suicide rates around us. People are hopeless. And our neighbors, they don't, they don't need us to tell them about Jesus because we need to check a box. They need Jesus because that's the only hope that they have in life. And as we start to have a heart for others, then, then we're naturally telling others about Jesus. And then, and then finally, um, one, one last example would be finding service in the church. So Lifeway is a place where a lot of people serve in a lot of ways. This is not a church where we have a struggle with no one serving. And we are, I, like, I am thankful for that as someone who, who helps lead music um, and yet, there's always going to be ways we can grow. And so I would just encourage you, as you think of serving, law probably looks something like this. I mean, there, there are going to be lots of different ways that it comes out, but a few ways it could come out. Well, you know, again, what, is, what is, I'm, I'm focused on myself. I'm focused on the line. So what are, what, what are maybe the places to serve that I want to serve? Uh, what, what do I feel like, hey, I've been doing this a while, and I'm, and I'm out no matter what because that's just that's what I'm focused on. There are lots of different ways to think about serving and in a law capacity. But love says, hey service, like where am I needed? And there might be a level where I'm not very good at it right now and like that's okay but there's a need there because if I'm not doing it and here's where the love comes into it, someone else is gonna have to do it. (laughs) So uh, I'll pick on Caleb and Anna Rogers. So they lead our interlude just consistently, they're faithful to be here and serve like do you think that they're waking up every morning real early on Sundays with like small children just like this like happy delighted like I can't wait to serve Jesus and like this is the I mean they are saying I can't wait to serve Jesus but not in terms of this is the ultimate goal of my existence is getting up to deliver and cut apples with with a trip to Walmart in there somewhere right Um yeah I mean they're doing it cuz they want to be faithful and serve but you know what if we never help them with interlude, then like someone has to do it and it's going to be them. And even if they have a good attitude, that's still a burden on them. Like, like it's still a place that they have to serve. And, and there are lots of ministries like that. There's greeting, there's nursery, there's things like that where we need to look at it less like, hey, what do I need to bring to the table? And more, how, am, how is what I'm doing impacting those around me? And if I'm not serving in this area where obviously there's a need, Someone else is. Love says it's someone else's turn. Or law law says it's someone else's turn. Love says, I would rather be inconvenienced than someone else. Okay, so in closing then, I want to draw our attention to um, 1 John 3, 10 and 16. And and I, I won't even read them, but that's just where... Uh, John really comes at and equates obedience and love of others in a way where we basically need to realize, like, hey, this is non-negotiable, okay? So we might be hearing this and even in some ways thinking, okay, so my objective this morning was to at least get us to the point where we went, where, where we got out of this idea of, okay, what are these rules, what are these things I have to do, and, and focus it more in hey, how do I think more about those around me and loving? Because that's the fulfillment of all the commands of Scripture, is loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving my neighbor as myself. But hopefully if I've communicated like this is not an easy thing, it might be tempting to say, wow, this sounds really hard, and so, okay, I'm maybe going to check out a little bit on this one. This is a non-negotiable. Like this is the mark of a believer. The believer will follow after Christ. The believer will, in in imperfect ways and stumbling ways, not always looking perfectly, will have a heart to follow and serve after Christ. So, in closing, I, I would just encourage us in that way to hear this, to hear this, uh, this call to, to be more focused on the love that we need to exhibit of getting outside of our, our own minds in terms of just life being about me, these, these things that I need to do being about me, of really stepping out and loving others as well as to realize if this is really the highest call that we are called to as it is part of the glorifying God in every way, then how can I do that more? How do I need to do that more? And really this crucial, we need to do it more because that's the mark of a true believer. Let's go ahead and pray and then we will have our final song. Father, thank you, for, um, thank you for giving us this command of love because it shows us that you are love. And I ask now that your spirit would, uh, would, <laughs> would ease maybe the conscience if I, if I overspoke in ways where maybe someone um, with a sensitive conscience doesn't need to feel guilty about something um, and would convict in ways where maybe someone does need to realize that they have not been loving as well. Uh, But most of all, we just want to thank you for Christ uh, because even in our failing, stumbling ways to love imperfectly, Christ always loves us faithfully. Um, You love us through Christ, and so we thank you for that. Help us to be more faithful to you and grow this week in loving others. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The preceding has been a teaching of Lifeway Church of Billings.